LifePoint Church, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It was a time of great joy, right? Amen. I mean, this is, uh, you know, not only a time where we celebrate and travel and do all that kind of stuff, but we once again, you know, I, I, somebody reminded me of this this week as I was talking. A lot of times, a lot of times pastors won't tell you something you don't already know. But a lot of times our job is to remind all of us of something we all need to hear. And so even though many of you have probably been to many of these and heard the same old story at the same old time, it's good to be reminded of what we already know. It's good to see things, hopefully from a different perspective. And we've been celebrating our Advent season all uh, month long with our Sundays. And of course, uh, the first candle here uh, represents the candle of, everybody remember, it was hope, right? Hope. And so you have hope, and when you have hope, it eventually leads to, no, no, before joy, before joy, you got to have peace, right, you know? Put hope and peace together, and you get joy. Put hope, peace, and joy together, and hopefully the outflow of your heart is going to be love. And right in the middle, this big white one is called the Christ candle, and we're going to light that one tonight. Tonight, I want to talk about something that I mentioned on Sunday, which is something that's kind of cool. Most of you know the poem by Clement Moore. It's a poem that begins with the phrase, "'Twas the night before and all through the... (laughs) Let's try this again. "'Twas the night before and all through the not a creature how many of you can recite beyond that all right don't 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 i'm just yeah <laughs> don't do it don't. that's all i know all right that's all i have to know <laughs> now while the poem itself has no biblical illusions so i'm not i'm not starting my message off with that particular poem it does beg i think a pretty cool question what was happening in heaven twas the night before christmas what was happening as jesus was being born and and it's very sometimes you got to be a little bible detective to find this kind of stuff but believe it or not the bible tells us exactly what was on jesus's mind on christmas eve what was on jesus's mind the night before he was born you know we know about the angels right we know about the shepherds we know about mary and joseph's journey to bethlehem most of the world knows about these figures and these stories whether they're attend church or not or know anything of the christian story we know about the manger and the wise men the wise men brought three gifts anybody remember them frankincense gold and myrrh Try spelling those. And then we also, I don't know that. And we also know about the star, right? That was a couple years ago. We did a a whole series on the star that led them from these. But what was, those are all, that's Christmas according to a lot of the stories we don't love. What was Christmas according to Jesus? What was on Jesus' mind when he was being born? Well, if you turn your Bible or you look on the screen, we're going to read a few verses 
Uh, it's out of a, a, a book that isn't often taught on, although it needs to be taught on more, and that is the book of Hebrews. It's a New Testament book. I know it sounds like an Old Testament book, but it's a New Testament book toward the end of the New Testament, one of the rare letters where we're not 100% sure who wrote it, but when you read it, you can totally tell that it's from the Holy Spirit and totally glorifies Jesus. In the 10th chapter of that book, you actually have Jesus uh, musing on really what, what is an Old Testament psalm. I believe it's Psalm 40, uh, where he is he's talking about his entrance into the world. This is what Jesus was thinking on his night before Christmas. He says, beginning in verse 5, or, or the writer says, Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not want sacrifice and offering. Who's you? That's God. He's saying to his father, You did not want sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. And he said, then I said, see, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. If you want to know Jesus' thesis statement for Christmas, it's, Father, I go down there and do this to do your will. A couple of things here, and if you flip the sheets over that you got you'll see these I filled them out for you this time I don't want you to spend time writing I just want you to listen tonight and the first one is this Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem it's a key it's a key thing to think about this Christmas while we celebrate the baby coming in a manger we do not celebrate the beginning of Jesus right Jesus is very clear, even in his little diary entry here that he gives us in Hebrews chapter 10, says, as he was coming into the world. That meant he existed before his birth. In John chapter 1, verse 1, the powerful gospel that so many of you have read and love, it begins with a powerful verse that says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You can switch out the word, word, the word, word, how do I say this? Where it says the word in that verse, just put Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That's essentially what John chapter 1 is saying. And in John, John chapter 8, 58, they're asking him about his divinity, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus clearly coming out and saying, I am God. I existed before Christmas. That's a key, powerful thing. We're not dealing with a man who began with Mary. We're dealing with a man who began, who has no beginnings, and was here before all of us. We celebrate the human entry of Jesus, but we have to keep clear that the divine had always and already existed. <clears throat> was Jesus essentially saying that God loved us so much he became one of us. You know, I was thinking, why didn't God just come like Adam, right? Adam was, when Adam was formed, I mean, for all intents and purposes, we think, right? He, he was formed as, a, as an adult male, you know? Uh, may, maybe he was formed as a 10-year-old and grew, who knows? But I mean, he, he was formed as a, he didn't begin as a baby, right? God formed him 
breathed into his nostrils and he was breathed. But Jesus came a different route. As I was playing worship and I looked over and, and saw little Evelyn singing over here, I thought Jesus, Jesus wanted that experience to be the cute kid singing in church or in his case to be the cute kid singing in temple or synagogue, you know. Uh, God went through that complete experience that we go through because he wanted to celebrate with us his creation, food and drink and festivals. This is where Christmas is one of our Christian festivals where we have food and drink, music, dancing, reading and fishing, building, laughing, talking, joking, and making friends. When God entered that human body, he did all of those as a human, as God. That's an amazing thing. God wanted to relate to us so much. Oh, was that rain? Oh, I was about to, I thought that was like tech. Uh, see, I'm so like... <laughs> Technology frustrates me so much. I thought, something's hissing, Alex. Something's hissing. It's the rain. Because <laughs> we just don't hear it enough, right? God, thank you for the rain. We need it. This dry land, soak it, Lord. Soak it in Jesus' name. So point number one, Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem. The second part is probably equally important. Jesus declared both failure and redemption over current human systems. God had already commented on pagan worship, and he had already tossed that out, you know, that that, that was not working, that it brought no peace, and that there was, you know, look at, what they, look at what pagans do in death. They don't die peacefully. They buried in boats or built great pyramids or did all these things because there's not a peaceful transfer. There's a huge question mark in paganism. What happens after your last breath here and your first breath on the other side? Now the Jews, they thought they had a really good answer because God himself set up the Jewish system. So they had a lot of peace in it. You know, yes, they had to go through a lot of animals. Yes, you had to walk them all to Jerusalem. Yes, things were all centralized. But they had received this from the one true God. And yet Jesus says, I've come to replace a failed Jewish sacrificial system. In verse 5, explicitly he says, you did not want sacrifice and offering. In short, what is Jesus saying? No sacrifice or offering that we ever bring is going to truly solve our problems with God. Now it's a bit of a head scratcher because God set up Judaism and it would have come as a shock to the Jewish priests who for centuries had offered bulls and goats and pigeons as God had prescribed in the Old Testament. But they did that because they sincerely believed this is what God wants from us. And for that segment of human history, it was what God wanted. They were not wrong in what they did, but they did not understand the truth of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. I started in 5 to 7. But those of you who read the context know that in verse 4, the Bible says this. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. For 1,500 years, 
they had been sacrificing all of these animals so that they could be forgiven. And how many sins did those animals forgive? Not a one. Not a uno. Because animals didn't sin, people did. An animal can't make up for what a person did. God allowed sort of a temporary reprievement, but the problem was still there. What Jesus is saying is the problem isn't solved. Since it was a human that created the problem, only a human can solve the problem. And so we see in Hebrews 10.5, Jesus says, you prepared a body for me, a human body for me. Now, on the one hand, Jesus used that body to enjoy us. And by the way, throughout all of heaven and all of forever and all of the afterlife, Jesus will be in that body, enjoying us in that body. But there was another reason for that body. There was a body prepared for him that about 30, 33 years later, he would offer himself on the cross. So if you were to ask me, what was on Jesus' mind the night before Christmas? It was the cross. There's a song called, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I hope you know it. It's a great song. It's a traditional song. I've got some of the words up there. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Pay the Ransom, for captive Israel, they're in captivity that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. The best way to understand our human condition would be exile. That's the best way to understand it. That we, in some ways, live exiled. Exiled from our true destiny with God, being with our Creator and living with Jesus forever. Uh, If you look at Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve uh, sort of bit uh, the fruit from the tree that they were not supposed to, God, you know, He punished them, but essentially He sent them out of the Garden of Eden into exile. They were in a garden that would be amazing to live in and would yield the best fruit. Now they're in exile where thorns and thistles and they got to work by the sweat of their brow are going to be in. When in in Genesis chapter 4, the first murder happens, right? Cain rises up and takes out his brother Abel. What does God do with him? God doesn't fricassee him on the spot, but instead he exiles Cain. You know, this is kind of the, the, the way God, you know, often punishes. He doesn't punish to hurt. He punishes to correct. And he's hoping that these, these exile experiences will correct. One of the big themes of the Old Testament is that God's people who were blessed and provided for and protected by God went into exile for 70 years because they had walked away from And that exile experience brought them back and set them up to receive Jesus as Messiah at Christmas. If you really look at human history, it's a history of us in exile. Something in us wants to go home. Are you kidding me? (laughs) 
sorry. <laughs> Something in us wants to silence our phones. <laughs> Something in us wants to go home. In fact, I know people, they don't even have any spiritual thoughts whatsoever. And you know what they, especially when I see them in the hospital, they view death as a going home. They can't tell me where their home is or where they're going or what that going home might be. But there's just this sense of when we leave here, we're going home. And that's very true in many ways. Jesus came from the home we're going to. So when he came here, he wasn't at home. He joined us in exile. And then the Bible says he went back to the Father. He went home. He says in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a home for you that where I may be, you may be also. That brings us to point number three. Third, he came to do God's will. As I write this message, I have three teenage sons. 17, 15 and a half, and 14. Pray for me. Pray for me. That's all I can say. Ten years ago, I would have told you something like this. Oh, I got great plans for my boys. Ah, Jonathan's going to be this. Lucas is going to do this. Thomas is going to become this. It's amazing when they're little like that. I'm just, I, I, I just, I've got a plan for all of them. You know what's funny? Ten years later, that's not even important to me anymore. God has a plan for their life. And I have to give them over to that plan. I have to surrender them to that plan, even if it's not, if it's not what I would have for them. Every parent in here, you probably had plans for your kids. Some of you are probably still holding on to those plans. I can tell you right now, let them go. But let me ask you this. Have you ever heard a plan from a father or a mother over their son read something like this? Now, I want you to go down there, and I want you to be born of a virgin. That's going to be kind of a scandal. I want you to be uh, laid and birthed in a feeding trough. I want you to be forgotten by the world. By the way, there's this king out there. From the moment you're born, he's going to try to kill you. You're going to have to flee a thousand miles to, your, to Egypt. You're going to grow up in some small podunk town and work your butt off in Nazareth. You're going to be rejected by your own people. In fact, you're going to be rejected by almost everybody, even your best friends. You're going to be hated, reviled, scourged, and then crucified. That's the life story for you, Jesus. Jesus knew all of that before he was even born. And still he came anyway. Let that sink in. Jesus knew his life story before he was even born. And still he came anyway. I want to play for you a song, if we can. Uh, do we have that song uh, loaded up on the computer? Do we test that? If we didn't test it, let's not do it. But um, it's a song, uh, I'll just say it. It's a song that I, I didn't uh, grow up listening to Christian music at all. I grew up, li grew up listening to Guns N' Roses, so it was the exact opposite <laughs> of Christian music. When I married my wife, 
she had like these CDs and tapes because she had li- been listening to music for like the last 10 years. So as I'm throwing out all mine, I'm starting to listen to hers. And we go to this Christmas concert when we were first married and this song, it's, it's by, uh, who did it? Amy Grant and Michael Smith. They did a concert and they're doing this song and I'm like, it's, I'm beginning, I'm just beginning to cry. I didn't want my new wife to see me crying. So I went to my go-to excuse for crying. Boy, the allergies in here are just terrible. Wow, you know. And, but the whole time I'm listening to this song. It's called Welcome to Our World. And, and I, I really challenge you to, to Google it sometime today or tomorrow. And it talks, it, it has, here's a couple of the lines. Fragile finger sent to heal us. Tender brows prepared for thorns. Tiny heart whose blood will save us unto us is born. So wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air and walk our sod. Rob our sin and make us holy. You are the perfect son of God. It's an amazing song. But it was that part where it said, so wrap our injured flesh around you. That part got me. When Jesus came, he was us. I like to think of him like, you know, you watch those superhero movies and they get shot and the bullets bounce off of them even though they look human, you know. Uh, they, they, they can do all these amazing things. Uh, sometimes I like to think of Jesus like that. Like, man, if somebody tried to shoot an arrow at him, it would just bounce off his body or he'd fly over it or he'd have like these, you know, super cool instincts and <laughs> catch the arrow, you know fact of the matter is those nails went through his wrists just like they'd go through ours that crown sunk into his head just like it'd sink through ours that God wrapped our flesh around himself that what was on his mind the night before Christmas there's a story that's told about Tsar Nicholas I of Russia some of you may have heard this he was the king of the Russian Empire from 1825 to 1855. He had asked a good friend to provide his son a job because his son wasn't very ambitious. And so the friend said, yeah, I can have him be the paymaster for the army. All he has to do is hand out the coins in the cash and that's it, that's all he has to do. The son, however, had a gambling problem. Horrible job to have when you're given a stack of cash, right? So he gambled away all of the money that was entrusted to him. Well, when the word came that the auditors were gonna come and examine his records, he calculated the amount he owed in his gambling debts and it came out to be a great amount that he could never pay. So rather than coming forward and confessing, he had determined to end himself that night before the auditor came. He was gonna do it at midnight after everybody was asleep, and while he was waiting, he gently nodded off to sleep himself. Well, he forgot, but (coughs) late that night, the czar himself paid a surprise visit to the barracks, as was his usual custom. Seeing a light on, he found his son sleeping, and then he walked over to wake him up and talk to him, but he saw the letter of confession, and he read the letter of confession. 
And on the letter of confession, it signed how he was going to leave this word. And at the very end of the letter, it said this, a great debt who can pay it. When the czar read that note, tears began streaming down his eyes. He put it down, he grabbed a pen, and he wrote one word. And then he walked off. Nope, just one word. Paid in full is three words. Later that evening, or I guess into the early morning, the son woke up and he realized, oh, I'm late. I've got to do this quickly. And as he woke up, he looked at the letter and he realized somebody had read it. And when he looked down where it said, a great debt, who can pay it? There was just one word written. And what was that word? Nicholas in his father's handwriting. The son was broken. He began to weep and he cried. And sure enough, the next day, a messenger came from the palace with the exact amount that the young men owed. Only the czar could pay and the czar did pay. We stand here tonight exactly where that young man did. When we look at our own sins, we should say a great debt, who can pay it? And Jesus Christ steps forward and signs the ledger, ledger, Jesus. Only Jesus could pay, and Jesus did pay. Why did he pay? Well, because he loves us for sure. But there's another reason he tells us in his diary entry before he came at Christmas. Jesus lived to do God's will. May we do the same. Let's pray. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, tonight as we celebrate your coming, we celebrate God entering into a human body. We celebrate God sacrificing that human body so that our sins would be forgiven and that we would have a home, a home with you to go, go to when our time of exile is over. And Lord, we celebrate the example that you left for us, that you knew everything that was going to happen before you even came, before you cried your first cry on Christmas morning, before they brought the gifts, before the angels told the shepherds a thing. You knew all of this, and yet you came anyway. That's love. That's love, and that's a man who does God's will. May we do the same. And may we be changed by the light of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.